welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their great hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 57. I wasn't quite sure who this old woman was that I was seeing, um, but she looked pretty familiar. And I started talking to her. I was out on her farm, and she mentioned to me uh, that she was a hunter. And I was like, oh, well, I have a hunting podcast. And she said, well, I've, I've killed some big bucks in my day. And I thought, i got to get this lady on my show. And so I said, would you want to record this right now? Do you have a few minutes? She goes, absolutely. And I was like, I, I know you from somewhere. And she goes, oh, yes, I am Adam Sandler's mother. And I thought, oh my goodness, you have got to be kidding. I had no idea that Adam Sandler, one, had a mom, and two, that, I mean, I knew he had a mom, but I didn't know who she was, and she was a hunter. And so we were trying to do this podcast, and my kids were running around making a lot of noise, so we had to go someplace else, and then my phone shut off and just died on me, so we had to use her phone. Kids found us again. I was trying to get my wife to get the kids, and finally, uh, it just seemed like it had taken 45 minutes. We finally got to a quiet spot, and I was going to hear Adam Sandler's mom's deer stories. We were just about to begin, and then my alarm clock went off. Um, so, uh, that is the dream I had about a week ago and it's just stuck with me weird. I don't think Adam Sandler's mom actually does hunt. If she does, somebody let me know cause I'll reach out to her and see. But, uh, yeah, so apparently I'm dreaming about weird guests and podcasts these days, but, um, man, I hope things are going great for you this week. Uh, I've been trying to do one episode a week, been sticking to that and, uh, been a little bit behind this week, but I got a great guest for today. Um, going back to the beginning, we've always wanted to have average Joes on this show. And, and to me, that term, um, first off, I hope nobody's offended by that term. There's nothing wrong with being, we just mean a normal average person, not some big name TV celebrity that hunts in areas that most of us can't identify with. We've had some big names on here before, um, but those people are usually people that I think, you know what, I think they identify with us. They're people that speak to the average Joe. And so we've had some, some big folks on Uh, Today's guest, I'll just be honest, I was super excited uh, to have him on, especially once I figured out who he actually was. I was scrolling through Instagram, kind of looking for different uh, things I thought were interesting, and I came across this uh, this one page that I thought, man, these are some great pictures. I mean, it's just some beautiful, I mean, it, it was art. You know, some some pages don't come across that way. This page was just art. So I sent the guy a private message. And uh, his name was Ben. He wrote back, said, my name's Ben. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do your podcast. And I was like, man, that's great. And I got to scroll a little bit further down later on that day on Kana Outdoors. Sorry, Kana Outdoors. And on Kana Outdoors, I realized this is the guy that produced The Linguist. If you are an elk hunter, you most likely know the video that I'm talking about. This is a guy that created the linguist, and not only the linguist, but Elk Fever 3. Um, and he works with Sitka Gear and several other places, and he makes incredible films. And then I really got excited to hear this guy's stories and hear how he got into elk hunting. And so that is today's guest. And we have a great conversation about how Kana Outdoors was started and uh, about he and his partner and how all that kind of worked out. He was originally uh, into goose hunting and just loved that, and duck hunting, waterfowl. And then through the process of this film and shooting this film with guys like Corey Jacobson and Will Primos and Larry D. Jones and all those folks, um, he got this passion for elk hunting. And so we get to hear some of his personal elk stories over the last few years, and they are pretty incredible. So uh, today we're going to jump into that podcast. I hope that you guys enjoy this one. I really appreciate it when you guys leave a review and all that good stuff. And that's all I'm going to say. We're just going to jump in. Here is Ben Potter of Kana Outdoors. Oh, hey, real quick, need to let you know there were some audio issues right at the start of this interview. Um, But if you'll hang in there for like three minutes, we get it worked out. It's all fine. And the rest is great. So here we go. Hey, Ben, how's it going, man? Hey, good, man. Good. Thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today? Uh, good, good. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, I'm always uh, excited to chat with fellow hunters, especially across the country. And uh, yeah, so um, doing well. Thanks. 
Good. Where are you guys located at? I didn't I didn't ask you that before we got started. Yeah, yeah. So we're out in California on the central coast. It's called San Luis Obispo. Um, we're about halfway from uh, between L.A. and San Francisco. So um, pretty much three and a half hours uh, south of San Fran and, and three and a half hours north of L.A. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, yeah. That's cool. And you are a part of a group called, uh, make sure I get it right, Kana Outdoors? Correct. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a company that I started with, uh, you know, I actually started it in college in 2004. Um, just mainly, uh, it's kind of started with my neighbor was getting married and knew I did video for fun and, and was like, hey, you want to film my wedding? And and uh so like sure yeah he's like yeah i got 300 bucks and well sounds good to me you know (laughs) and uh that's just you know one thing led to another and in 2008 i uh met uh one of my you know now one of my best friends this guy named drew uh and he had a very similar business and already going and we decided to partner and and then uh fast forward you know everything just every year just growing a little bit more every year in 2012 it's kind of like uh wanted to kind of come back to filming some hunting you know that i always i I used to film hunting just my own whatever with a handy cam just just for fun and like you know i don't know for no real purpose but i think i don't know it was right in 2012 i was like you know i'm gonna start doing this just really show off the beauty and i the outdoors, you know, and primarily waterfowl hunting was what I, uh, and you know, been waterfowl hunting since, I mean, out in the marsh since I was about three years old. So, um, you know, that was always a, a really special sacred time for me, you know, being out there hunting ducks and geese and uh, throughout California and a little bit in Oregon. And so, yeah, and so I was told I just wanted to start capturing it, you know, and threw together some reels and did a little bit of work with uh, a local company in California here, Tangle Free Waterfowl. And they were kind of the first company I did started working for uh, with content. And, you know, one thing leads to another. People like it. And then, you know, other brands. And uh, just kind of snowballed. Um, but our company, Kana, does a little bit of everything. You know, we have the outdoor brand, Kana Outdoors. We still do a handful of weddings every year. Uh, around the country and then we do um, we're even a nonprofit that does a lot of work for cool so uh, um <laughs> i i have to be honest with you i looked up uh con outdoors on instagram and i thought man i, I love this guy's pictures i love uh, the videos and stuff like that so i sent you the message come on the podcast you agreed and then i got to looking a little bit further i'm like holy cow did i i didn't realize that you were the guy that created one of like one of the best elk videos I've ever seen in my life called The Linguist. Uh, <laughs> so wow, yeah. I was like, oh my goodness. I and so my excitement level, I was already excited because of the content that I saw. And then I realized yeah. I'm like, oh, I do I do know this name. So you talk about going from waterfowl and then you got into elk hunting and doing some videos that way, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, what year was that? I guess it was funny. I was in Arkansas filming some stuff for Sick of Gear on uh, their new timber pattern that was coming out. And we were working on a launch piece for that whole project. And I got a call from uh, a friend of mine uh, who was in marketing at Sick of Gear. And he's like, hey, we, we got this this huge project we want you to bid on uh, with us. And I was like, all right, yeah sounds awesome and you know and it's like it's elk hunting and and i at the time i have never elk hunted in any way i mean i'm barely have bow hunted you know deer locally and so i pretty much just kept my mouth shut about not ever having done that before and just was <laughs> like i just know it, it sounds cool i want to do it and uh so i uh i guess i kind of like you know just uh, faked my way and faked it until I made it with uh, pretending I knew what they were talking about when they were explaining different elk hunting things that they wanted to capture and what the film was about. And, and I didn't know that you call elk and that's a thing. And so, I mean, fast forward, I mean, we ended up putting together this story with, uh, with David Brinker at Sick of Gear and their whole team. 
and working with a guy named Corey Jacobson uh, with Elk 101. And, and he, Corey is just an amazing guy that is truly, I mean, he's really built out all this, this amazing resource for elk hunters or new hunters to, you know, really jump into hunting elk, especially calling elk. And, and you know, I, so I got to spend like a month, you know, the entire elk season following Corey, like seeing everything there is to see. And we had one of the most amazing elk seasons. I mean, we hunted like four or five states. Um, I don't even, I honestly didn't keep track of how many elk were killed that season, but several, you know, I mean, we got the, I, I think at one point after the very first hunt, we were in Wyoming and I, we had seen so many elk come in to the call. And I mean, I think we were, had a couple elk tagged already. And, um, I asked Corey, I was like, Hey, what on like a scale of one to 10, like, what is this hunt? And he's just like, this is, this is an 11, you know, this is an easy 11. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, wow, I had no context for like, is this how it always is? Like, is this elk hunting? Like, this is insane. And, uh, and I, it just like quickly, I don't know, stirred up in me like a fascination with the whole, the whole process. So making the film was, was extremely special. Not only the way that I got to work with all kind of legends, you know, with, um, not only Corey, but his dad, Rocky Jacobson, Will Primos, you know, Larry Jones, uh, Wayne Carlton, you know, all these guys that are just have had Top a, of the line. a huge influence pioneers, you know, in home calling. And, uh, so, um, so that like went from, you know, I, I went from zero to 60, you know, in a second. And, uh, when it comes to the whole world of elk and, you know, if you've seen the film and if you haven't, uh, I would just say, watch it. Cause I think it's the best thing we've ever done as far as a full fledged film. Um, and it's going to be a hard one to top, you know, just in yeah. the, the fact of the story it's so rich and there's just so much to it. And even the, the, I don't know, the factor just getting into Corey's life and learning about his passion. Um, I mean, we got to see his son harvest his first elk with a bow. And I mean, that was just, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a father myself and I'm a little three-year-old and, you know, he's, he grabs a bugle tube with me and we're practicing <laughs> and, he, and he actually sounds pretty good with his high squeaky little voice. And, uh, you know, I just like, seeing what Corey got to experience it's just like golly i can't wait for that day you know i think every every father can't wait for that moment to see their son or daughter just take it all in and enjoy what you enjoy and cherish and but anyway the, the project overall was a huge honor and i'm i'm still very fond of it all you know and, and yeah. i love watching it you know so yeah Whenever I whenever I got on your website, I noticed something that you said. You know, cr you guys want to uh, do creative justice to the outdoors. Uh, mm -hmm. Explain explain that a little bit. Like you just talked about, yeah. kind of telling. Not it's not it's not just the kill shot for you guys. It, it seems mm -hmm. to be more about the story and the adventure and family and all of that kind of combined. Yeah, I mean, I guess like you know, it's a philosophy we've kind of held to like a lot of media that we do. Um especially in our day and age when so much can be inauthentic or staged or forced, you know, forcing an emotion, forcing a, the viewer to feel something, you know, we, and we feel like, I feel like the outdoors, you know, as hunters is it's so sacred, right? I mean, our hunts are when we go on a hunt, it just, it's not something that can happen every day. It's hard to put together. Like, when elk season comes around, I mean, or duck season or whatever. I mean, I, I only have so many hunts to experience. So you are selective on who you take, on who you're going to spend time with. You know, you don't just take anyone. Like, you don't just go anywhere. Like, you want to be, there's all this planning. And, like, so we all to say that we just hold hunting. So everyone hold every hunter should hold hunting as a very precious thing. And And then when it comes to documenting that, I feel like there's a, a huge responsibility for the filmmakers that are also hunters to do it justice that it deserves because it is so epic, you know, it is something that's like, uh, it, we shouldn't just hold lightly, you know, and just throw up a, a grip and grin without any real context to why that smile should be on that face and 
you know, what went into that. I mean, I don't know. I just think there's just, we're so invested uh, as hunters in this whole pursuit and passion sport, whatever you want to call it, um, that I think there's just a, a responsibility of giving the outdoors creative justice that it deserves. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but oh no, that's absolutely. Just something that we we really want to continue to do with whatever we're working on and making sure that you know we're doing giving it the just giving it the the attention and the care and the effort you know that it deserves because it is such a a um, it's something we never want to take for granted and I feel very thankful that we get to experience all that we we do in in the outdoors and so yeah. So with our cameras, we don't we don't hold it lightly, you know. That we really want to give it give it our best. Yeah, and I, I think that's that comes through in definitely in the linguist and those other films that you've created because it it's not just like you know that thirty seconds of excitement. It's 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 a beautiful thing to watch. I think there's a lot yeah. of and so a lot of I'll be honest, a lot of what we try and do with shedding light outdoors is very similar. Like we are mm. trying, <laughs> you guys do it better, <laughs> but nah, you know, it's, it's just a matter of trying to tell the story. You know, you want to know, like, you know, there's a lot that leads into a hunt and there's a lot of ups and downs <laughs> and there's, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's not all about the kill, although that, that is, that is obviously a part that you look forward to and you want to capture. Yeah. So, but yeah. yeah, no, that, and that's why I wanted to have you on the show. Cause I just think you do such a great job with that, but I wanted to kind of dive in a little bit just to your hunting stories. You've done a yeah. lot of doc documentation of like some of these other folks mm-hmm. hunting, but I wanted to hear how did, how did Ben Potter get started yeah. into hunting and get this, this passion that you have for it now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think I owe my, all my hunting, like, like a lot of people to my dad, you know, or, you know, he like, got me out. Uh, hunting here in California on the public refuge system. Um, and ref- I guess the refuges, what we call refuges out here in California, are similar to um, like an NWA or is that what it's called? Anyway, like a wildlife area, you know, public yep. areas. And uh, yeah, so I, I mean, got out here, you know, he started pulling me out in this little sled when I was like three years old. And I just started experiencing like, you know, being out in wild places that I was like, it always hit me, even from a super young age. I'm like, who goes to these places? Like, these are the most. You're in these swampy marshes and tuis, and it's wild, and you're seeing stuff you just never see anywhere else. I mean, I remember hunting in Oregon, or maybe it was it was right on the border, close. So it wasn't really the Klamath area, but it was um, outside of Alturas, California, way up north, northeast corner. And there was, I remember we were goose hunting, and I think about a dozen or half a dozen honkers come down this peninsula and I had a single shot 20 gauge, you know, it was like a turkey gun and I won it at a DU dinner when I was real young. I just started. It's my first year hunting. Here come these honkers. My dad pulls up, dumps two honkers and I pull up with my little 20 gauge and just enfolded this, this honker. And he went down, he sailed down like over this peninsula and I was, couldn't believe my eyes. I shot this honker. And I'm retrieving it, and then all of a sudden, here, here's this, as I'm retrieving it over this rocky, weird lake, uh, here's this porcupine just walking. And I'm just, there's moments like that, you're like, what in the heck, where am I? You know, like, where do you <laughs> see a porcupine next to a, you know, here's my honk, my first honker. And, and it was just like stuff like that. It's just, you know, I, I don't know. You just can't get enough of those wild moments. Yeah. And so when I started filming, you know, uh, I, I did a little bit of bow hunting locally for blacktails here. And to be honest, it's real tough around here unless yeah. you've got something private that's, you know, with deer that are a little bit more, um, I guess, less spooky. And uh, so I, you know, I, up to this day, I still haven't harvested a, a blacktail. I hear that's a very here. hard thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, a, it's really loud here. It's crunchy, a lot of oak leaves and it's hot. And, you know, our season opens in July. So it's, it's crazy, you know, um, it's a real tough season, but, um, it's going to happen one of these days, but you know, like going back to when I started filming the linguist that just like opened my eyes. Like, wow. At the end of the season, I was like, man, I could do this. And Corey's like, yeah, you can do this. Like you don't have to be a great elk caller or anything. You just gotta go, you know? And, and it's something that like, you know, in our day and age, you know, we have so many amazing tools to e-scout and read and study and prepare. 
but I mean, really, I mean, the best, the best tool is just going, <laughs> you know, and like being in it and learning in the field. And, and so that next fall, I ended up just buying an over the counter tag in Oregon, you know, and, and I was like, well, it was kind of last minute. I think it was like early August. And I was just like, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to go to Oregon, I guess, you know, just I can hunt there. And so a friend of mine pointed me in the right direction and said, this is a unit that I've hunted before and it's, there's elk there. And, you know, and online on Go Hunt or something, I think it was like 10% success rate, you know. So it wasn't like, I wasn't going in thinking like, this is going to be epic. And I just wanted to be in it, you know, and see what happened. And throughout that seven day hunt, you know, I just hunting solo um, for the most part. And uh, I ended up calling in two bulls and I shot on the second one and I hit a tree and he ran off <laughs> and it was just like, holy crap, this can work. Like I can, <laughs> I can call an elk in and I could have killed that elk given, you know, circumstances were a little different, you know, arrow didn't deflect and whatever. Uh, but I, you know, I quickly learned uh, that it's possible. And the next season I ended up, going to Wyoming and I was same thing. I was solo hunting for, I think I was on day four and I called in a beautiful bull and he, uh, I just was just cow calling. Um, I came over this rise. I let out a cow call and boom, he was about 150 yards below me. Just screamed at me. I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. Gathering myself, checking the wind. It's kind of swirly a little bit. So I finally picked a, a direction started working my way down, set up my decoy, uh, that Wayne Carlton gave me, you know, and I had that up behind me and, uh, I'm blown on a call that Rocky gave me, you know, and, or Corey, I can't remember one of the two. And, uh, here comes all of a sudden I see this big bull, huge six point coming up at me. And I never had the bugle cause he just wanted that cow call. And here he comes and he's just raking like crazy. And then I would, I would just let out a little cow call in a different direction and he would bugle, cut me off. And I was like, Oh my God. So I finally let him get, I mean, I think he was about 25 yards. He was right below me and he stepped out into this, uh, you know, just into this opening. And I just figured, you know what, there it is. There's, there's my lungs. And I let it rip. Um, and he, I hit him and flipped around cow called he stopped and i could just see on the opposite side i could just see blood just pouring out of this elk i was like wow i just shot my first elk i can't believe you know and he's he's like a very nice mature six and i uh tracked his blood let him go for a while and i tracked his blood for about 200 300 yards and and then his blood just disappeared um and i one thing it's so many things you know you go back and like should have done this should have done that but um, I think when I tried to get a second shot in him, I think I spooked a cow and that cow took off and he chased that cow. And so I kind of gave him a bump of adrenaline, uh, when that happened. And I think that may have resulted in why he ended up going as far as he did. Well, um, long story short, this is a kind of a crazy story. I'll just yeah. prep you with that. <laughs> I never found him. I searched for two days. Oh, man. Some buddies came out, and I just kind of came to grips with, wow, okay, I just lost, like, a really nice bull. Like, I can't believe that. Um, you know, your brain goes back and forth, like, I shoot too low. I mean, uh, clearly the shot wasn't perfect, you know. Um, it seemed like it was with the blood that I saw. And, the, you know, right after the hit, it looked like a, a great shot, but I, I guess not. And uh, so – we just got right back to hunting and my buddy showed up and, and I ended up calling in a bull for my good buddy, Justin. He smoked it. We packed it out. I had to get home the next day because that was the same season. I was filming elk fever three and then also my own elk hunting. So I was in the field for like coming up on a month, you know, and my, my wife was like, okay, you're done. You home. <laughs> you know? And uh, so yeah. I, I flew home and I get a text right when I get home from my buddy, Joel, and he's like, hey, man, I think I found your bull. And because we were kept hunting the same canyon that, you know, we were getting into him. In. And uh, sure enough, uh, he found my bull and he was kind enough to uh, cut the head off a 10 day old elk. And uh, it had been half eaten up by wolves and bears. And, you know, is, you know, not a lot left. But um, 
anyway, he, he was met some guy. He ended up shooting his own bull and met some guys with horses, and they came in to help him out and get these his elk out and uh, and my head. Well, when they get they got the the head like strapped down, they ended up uh, making their way out, and I guess one of the horses that had the head had my head on it was going across this steep um, slope with a bunch of shale and took a slip and actually fell down the mountain, tumbled end over end and died and shattered the elk head with it. And thankfully nobody was riding this horse. You know, they were just walking him out. And so it was just like, and I'm getting all this through like in reach text messages, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on? Like, this is blowing my mind, you know? And I thought it was a joke. I was like, this is, this can't be real. You know, and this is my first bowl. I'm like extremely invested in at least putting my hands on these horns, you know, just to all that I experienced with calling that bull in and looking for him. And that man, you just want to closure, you know, you want to see it either. No, it's, it almost would have been better to not find it and not hear that it was found. You know what I mean? And just know, like, you know what? Some other animal ate that bull or where it lived or whatever. Who knows? But the fact that it, like, was found and then I have one picture of it now. <laughs> and, uh, and it, you know, it almost made it out. And this, this guy, a total stranger, I don't even know, was, like, helping me and lost a horse, you know? Yeah. And so that was just tragic, man. But uh, I, I was... You know, I've definitely, it's a bummer to think about, but it's, you know, it's part of this, part of my story, you know, part of the journey of like learning how to hunt these animals and really considering the shot placement and, you know, hindsight, I probably had more time on my shot than I gave myself, you know, and, you know, I don't know, a lot of lessons, but. Did you, did you, so you were done that season because you had elk fever three and did you get any more chances that season or was it kind of like, man, you got to wait till next year? Yeah, yeah. So I had like, uh, I, I filmed half the season in Idaho. It was just filming, you know, with, with Larry and Dwight. And, um, and then we were actually Oregon also. So Oregon and Idaho, that was the filming for Elk Fever 3. And then I had my own tag and pretty much took the last like half of the season. I think I hunted for about 10 or 12 days. So I did four days, five days on my own and then another seven with my friends and um from from here and so we ended up uh my buddy justin he killed that bull that i called in for him that was an an incredible experience and i would just i always tell folks that it was killing shooting my bull and and that whole thing calling him in was awesome and an, an incredible experience in itself but there's something about when you get to do that for someone else and give them that opportunity to kill something and have an opportunity. I mean, oh my gosh, it was so awesome. Like better than doing it myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like, you're just sharing in it. It was something about sharing a hunt with someone else, you know? And, and then, uh, it was just, yeah, I don't know. It was just so cool getting to see my buddy stoked. And well, t- tell us, you got me, you got me, I mean, you got me drooling here. So what, what happened? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. If you want to hear it. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I could tell these stories for hours. Um, I know we only have so much time. But so my buddy Justin, we, it was, oh man, I think we were having some encounters and we just couldn't quite, I mean, gosh, elk hunting is so hard because 99% will go right and then 1% goes wrong, you know, and it doesn't happen. And we kept getting right there and almost having shots and something with the wind would switch or something would happen. Um, we didn't really have any shot and misses as far as I can remember. But anyway, this one bull, we had like a half day to film or not, sorry, not to film, to hunt. And, uh, I paired up with my buddy, Justin, and I was like, okay, I can, we can hunt until about two o'clock and then we got to hike out of here. Cause I got to get on a flight, uh, the next morning just to give ourselves time, get cleaned up and get into town. And, um, yeah. So, we got after it, and I think it was about 9 or 10 a.m. We come over this, you know, we, we're coming down this draw, and I was bugling and just kind of listening. And I have insanely bad hearing, so I wear, uh, like, a 
these uh, hearing aids called wild ears and and with them like i can actually without those like i couldn't elk hunt because you got it's so much of it it's a listening game you know mm-hmm. listening to elk you know listening for cows listening for them walking you know um you're just constantly like studying sounds in the forest and so i was calling and we were listening and i could have swore i heard like a real like like just a really lazy bedded bull and my buddy justin has not as bad as hearing as me but his hearing's a little bit hard also and he's like no man there's i don't hear anything i'm like i'm pretty sure there's a bull down there down below us you know i was figuring at two three hundred yards below us in this this uh, drainage and um at this time the wind is coming up the mountain so we're good on our wind and i was like let's just kind of sit up here for a little while and this is a tactic i learned from larry you know just kind of sitting in a spot and doing i think what they call cold calling yeah and i was just calling and calling and kind of just creating the scene i'm walking back and forward i'm breaking branches i'm raking i'm literally doing what my bull did to me uh like six to whatever it was seven eight days earlier you know like creating havoc bugling walking around raking so i was just doing that up the ridge you know justin set up below me he's just he would let out a few cow calls here and there but i'm the one making a lot of racket I'm raking and kicking stuff i'm breaking you know i'm just like trying to be an obnoxious bull you know that just walked into somebody else's house and you know making a mess and then all of a sudden we heard that bull all of a sudden his little lazy bugle went up just a little bit more so um like i always compare like my first bull that season was was like a microwave you know it was like boom 30 seconds this thing is hot and he is ready to (laughs) he's ready to come right now i don't even have to bugle he wants this cow part of his harem you know and uh so this bull though with my buddy justin the later bull he was, he was more like a boil, you know, like real slow simmer and he was making noise, but it just wasn't really worked up. So we just kind of kept at it making noise. And I even, I worked a little bit closer toward him making noise. And then all of a sudden his little lazy bugles went from like a, to a, there was just a tone change where you're like, okay, he's pissed, <laughs> he's coming. And then my buddy, Justin, I mean, you know, even my buddy, Justin's done a lot of rifle hunting, but not. He's never killed a bull with his bow. And uh, so this is all kind of like new for him, too. I mean, we're all learning, you know, we're just like figuring. I'm just going off of like what the memories of like I would see Corey or Larry or whoever I was hunting with do. Yeah, I mean, you've been able to spend time with the best of the best, the known of the knowns as far as elk hunting goes. So I'm sure that some of that has to be, and it it sounds to me like too, I mean, from what I know of Corey and Will and those guys, they kind of each have like a little bit different, maybe a different nuance in the way that they hunt elk. So all all of that's maybe playing a little bit into this. Totally. And like, you know, because it's all new to me, I just, when I just started hunting with Corey, I was like, oh, this is how you hunt elk. But then the more you kind of like research, you're like, holy crap, there's a lot of ways to hunt elk. Yeah. And that's, that's something Corey has told me. He's like, you know, he's like, I have really good friends that are incredible elk hunters that suck at calling and don't call and are just, I mean, there's a dude I was uh, hanging with last year a little bit, part of this um, project called uh, Hunt of a Lifetime. And uh, this was after um, my Idaho hunt last, last fall. And uh, he, his name is Russ Meyer really neat guy and he would be a cool guy for you to get on the podcast and uh he's an idaho local and he's a killer man like he kills a lot of animals with his bow and he does not call like very little very very little calling but he was telling me i'm like russ how was your season he's like yeah i mean my son each shot nice bulls showed me pictures and like holy crap dude like those are those are gorgeous bulls and he just stocked them in, you know, they just followed the herd and made it, you know, got into a position where they got a good shot, you know. So it's super interesting to me the different ways you can get this done. You know, I, I really don't think there's like the way I think calling yeah. is very exciting, <laughs> you know, being coming from waterfowl. Like I love to just finish a duck in my face with my duck call. Like that's a that's a great feeling. So you you take a duck, you go from hunting a duck to 
putting an 800 pound beast in front of you <laughs> that just like this beast that just appears in the forest you're like how is this thing even hiding in this they're so big and you know i don't know it's just that that whole pursuit of calling them in like is i get it why that's why Corey kind of hangs his hat on calling and um it's because it's super fun <laughs> you know it's yeah. just ex- extremely exciting um there's an there's an interaction you have with the animal that is very i don't know primal feeling you know it's like that you're speaking its language in a sense or at least its emotion you know and uh stirring it up to the point where you're not trying to just sneak up to it and kill it or hide from it and kill it you're actually looking it in the eye and yeah. and gonna kill it i mean that's like does something to you <laughs> i don't oh, know absolutely. else to say it uh but so you got this bull, bull, bull yeah, yeah, boiling, getting, getting he hot. Finally, yeah, he finally got to the threshold of he's coming. And then I set my buddy Justin up. I'm like, all right, dude, right here. And then I went behind him up the hill about 50 yards and started doing racket. And then I look down, I see Justin keeps changing where he's sitting. And I'm like, run down. And I'm just like, my brain is going a thousand miles per hour. I'm like, you need to sit still. Like, I need to know where you are in order for me to to know where to pull this bull to, you know, to the best of my ability here. And so as I'm, so he, he sits still and I get it. You're like trying to think, Oh, this is the bad spot. I should switch. But man, if that bull sees that shooter moving around, I mean, it's yeah. over. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause that's just, he's looking for me. Like he's looking for where the sound comes from. And, um, so then I, uh, yeah, I got up behind him. He sat, found a good spot and I could just tell this bull was just, angry and i was doing exactly the stuff that Corey had told me to do you cut them off you want to i'm raking i'm breaking stuff and but as i'm like trying to taunt this bull i'm actually moving away from him like almost pulling him up the hill thinking that i'm he's pushing me out of here like he's pushing me out of giving him like a little bit of confidence in the sense of that he's uh he's winning the battle um because I think it's just that fine line, man. You just don't know where that bull is at as far as his temperament. Like, is he is he extremely confident in the way where he feels like he's going to win every fight? Because if you, there's that fine line you play. Like, I think if you're too aggressive, you could kick that bull out. And he'll be like, I don't want to fight. I'm on the downhill. But this bull was coming uphill. And he was coming and coming. And I was, like, thinking, like, Boy, the the sounds that were coming from him were so gnarly and so grunty and angry, <laughs> and he was getting close. And I'm like, he's got to be, he's got to be in his face right now. And uh, so I think he went a little wider from my buddy Justin than I thought he was. And uh, anyway, he ended up having a 30 yard shot and put it you know, right there in the lungs. And that elk went. We thought we heard him hit the ground. Uh, I mean, I heard the shot. I came down. I'm like, dude, what the freak just happened? And we were just losing our minds. And we sat there for about an hour and just couldn't contain ourselves anymore. And we're like, let's just go look for blood and found the arrow, you know, full pass through. And we started following just a, a good pile of blood. And then there was the elk. Couldn't have been more than 200 feet, you know, from mm-hmm. where he shot it. And it was a super funky bull. Uh, it was like a a full, a nice six on one side and then like a three point, like a deformity, um, on the, on the other side and, uh, but really heavy, you know? And so he was just a super neat looking elk. And, uh, so my buddy ended up getting a full head shoulder mount done, um, on him and, and, uh, he's, he's a beast, man. It was a big, a big ass elk. And, uh, we ended up, so, you know, with everything I went through, you know, this is two seasons ago now. It was like the lowest low. I mean, this is, I, I know that my story is not unique. I'm just, I've talked to many people that have helped me with this. Um, you know, like just working through these emotions and these, these moments. I mean, you go from the lowest lows to the highest highs. And I just was like, man, what an incredible way to end this whole trip. You know, getting to call a bull in for my buddy and him shooting his first archery bull. And we packed it out and, we got back to the truck. I mean, super late. Ended up getting dinner at a gas station at like 1.30 in the morning. And, you know, I flew home the next morning. I was just like, wow, I can't believe 
this whole elk season. What an insane season. You know, got to film with Larry and just feeling super thankful. Uh, and then that whole string of text messages started flooding in, you know, with my ball. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my gosh, my, my heart just can't handle this. You know, it's like, yeah. this is insane. But, um, you know, overall, that was a, that was an amazing season. And then so last last season, last fall, I ended up um, going getting to go back to Wyoming with a buddy and a uh, very si- similar crew. And we ended up I ended up shooting my first bull out there last year. Um, and my buddy Joel called it in for me and. So that was huge, like redemption, I guess, in a way of like just getting to I was I had zero expectation. You know, I was zero uh, standards. You know, I was like the bull that comes in is the bull I'm going to kill. <laughs> and here comes this bull I and mean, we located him and got, you know, kind of worked up close. And he was pretty vocal. And, uh, and this is probably day three, I think, of hunting out there and and uh, ended up. I ended up having about a 15 yard shot. And at one point the bull was staring right at me. He was, came in frontal the whole oh, way. Wow. So I was, was he, like, was he hot or kind of slow yeah, play? How, he, how did this, he was, okay. he was raking a lot. Like I could hear he was, it was in a really, really thick little pocket of timber. So my lanes were like, everything I was ranging was like 15, 20, 15, 13, 20, 21. You know, I was like, golly, I don't this is bull. It's going to have to be right in my face for, for me to have a shot. And, um, and then I could hear my buddy Joel calling about 40, you know, 50 yards behind me. I knew how far he was and I could hear the bull raking in front of me. And I'm like, that bull is a lot closer. So I figured, man, he's right behind this pocket of trees. I just can't see him yet. And then when he started coming through, it was like, uh, you know, he's a younger, he's a raghorn. A uh, little four point, and uh, I was like, you know, he's little, but he's mine. <laughs> and so I ended up. He he came in looking right at me. I was against this tree, and I just held still. I wasn't at full draw yet because I didn't want to try a risk a frontal shot. I'm just not quite there yet, I guess. And even though it was freaking close, I probably could have done it. I don't know. Uh, I waited, and and he the second he's head went behind this tree, he came out and. Hey, there it was. I had my shot and uh, let it rip and smoked him. So uh, that was awesome, man. It was, yeah. you know, it, that was huge, uh, huge redemption to, you know, get my first bowl. And, you know, after all this, you know, every year um, you learn a little more and you kind of like you build a little confidence and, you know, and all of a sudden you're just like, all right, now that I've killed one, that was huge, you know, for Hey, this this works, man. I can I can do this. And uh, even though I guess technically last year, the year before, I did kill one, and I, I guess you could call that my first elk. But it, just something about not putting hands on it, you know, doesn't really feel right. quite real. Uh, and then uh, yeah, and then uh, it's the the funny thing is, you know, all of this passion, this new passion of mine, you know, my wife started really like obviously noticing me. And being so obsessive and she started reading one of my elk books um from this guy uh who has passed on as you may have seen in elk fever three dwight dwight shoe yeah. and uh he wrote a book called bugling for elk and um i think you can you can still get it on amazon or wherever and just an awesome little book and uh and anyway she started reading it and was like man this is this is cool because there was a a girl that they featured in that book from like the seventies or eighties. And she was like this little, little stealthy elk hunter, you know, <laughs> that hunted on her own. And, and she was super inspired. Like, wow, look at this lady, like going for it. And, and, uh, so anyway, my wife wanted to go last year too. So that was super fun. I got to take her to Idaho, like, uh, about a week and a half after our Wyoming trip. And, uh, she just, loved it's it's funny hunting with your wife because you're just like she's noticing all these things that i don't notice you know she's like oh the smells are so magical <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what? I'm like, no was she really... was she hunting or just kind of tagging yeah. along no oh, yeah wow. she had a tag in her pocket so um and boy we almost she almost got a shot it was it was uh 
I don't know how much time if you want me to keep telling elk stories. But oh um, man, I can I can listen to you for days. <laughs> uh, well, so if you want me to tell her, her little story, uh, yeah, let's 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 neat. wrap up with that one. Sure. Yeah. So um, we were up this canyon, and it was a busy unit. Like honestly, I don't think I'd want to go back there. It was it was uh, just a lot of hunters, and um, there was trucks everywhere. And we're seeing, you know, it's one of those things you're glassing up guys on other ridges. You bugle, and you could hear some dude bugle back at you, and you're like, "Golly, this is not what I want." With so I was like, "All right, babe, we need to get like." away we need to get a little deeper here to, in order to get away from a lot of these people and um so we ended up picking this this canyon and got up in there and we were hiking through and it was kind of kind of rainy and kind of hard to hear a little windy and we ended up uh bugling and she she has way better hearing and uh even even without you know even better than my with my hearing aids and so she thought she heard something and she's like i think i heard like a really faint you know bugle and so i was like well let's just keep going up this canyon and we'll come back to it on our way out of here and we'll see if he's still there and uh and sure enough on our way out uh we located this bull and it was so neat man because he just like when we confirmed that there was a bull probably two, 300 yards below us. Um, she just like kind of started tearing up, you know, and getting like, she's like, I just can't believe it. I'm hearing an elk in, <laughs> in the wild, you know? And like that alone, it's like, wow, how many people get to experience that, you know, mm-hmm. of just hearing a bull bugle and it's, and it's wild in a wild place like this, you know? Um, and so we started working our way in and, and I picked a spot. I was like, okay, he's, He's probably 80 to 100 yards in front of us here. And he didn't sound huge, but, uh, you know, I don't I don't think I'll ever really care. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like shooting elk, you know? Yeah. Uh, they all eat the same, you know, and the younger ones probably eat better. Uh, but we just, yeah, we here's we got this bull going, and, and so I was like, all right, babe, I'm going to go behind you. Stay right here, and he's probably going to come from this side or this side, and just be ready. And uh, so I'm I'm calling and that bull's calling and she, I know she's in front of me. And then all of a sudden I hear this huge crash and I'm like, Oh my gosh, she shot. So I came down and I kept my, I had an arrow knocked just in case something weird happened. If it swings wide or something. And, um, I'm coming down and I look to my right and there's the bull. Uh, cause I, I cow called a whole bunch after I hear this crash and there's the bull feeding toward me, totally not hit. Um, and I'm really confused what's going on here. If that was a second, a separate bull. Well, at the, let me back up a second. One other detail is important is that there actually two other bulls started firing up in this canyon that we were calling. And so what had happened was she thought the bull that was in front of her moved and went up this drainage. And so she moved. And I think when she got up, she spooked the bull that was coming up, probably looking her way. You know, uh, okay. um, and I think she spooked that bull. Well, when I started cow calling, that bull chilled out and just kind of kept kept hanging. Well, I come down and I, I almost had a, a shot on the bull, but he just just it wasn't good. You know, it wasn't a clean one. I would have been shooting through too much brush and too many things could have gone wrong. Well, he went down, but he didn't go very far. And he, he kind of holed up in his pocket of trees. And my wife was so like just with all the elk. Well, there was three bulls in this canyon with all those bulls going off. She was so overwhelmed with the moment. And I was just like, and I'm in kill mode, you know, and I'm not considering that like she has never killed anything bigger than a rabbit with her bow, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, babe, that bull's in this pocket of trees. We're going to go down and we're going to stock in and we're going to kill this bull. And so she's just like trying to be supportive and go with me. And so I was like, you go on the left and I'll go on the right. And one of us is going to get a shot. And we got down there, and I know that bull was in there, and she did not go – she didn't follow the plan at all. She decided to just hang tight because she was so overwhelmed by the moment of what we were about to go do. There was, like, this huge – it's just too much. Yeah. And I came back, and she was so – she's like, I, just, I need to leave. We need, we need to get out of here. And it was the weirdest thing for me. I didn't even know as a husband how to process this. I was just like – Man, like, are you serious? We're like elk are in front of us, and you don't want to go try to get kill. And like, no, I just I can't do this right now. And like, 
it was just so much for her to take in at that moment. And then I, after the fact, I kind of looked back at it and like, you know, I did just kind of like send my wife to go spot and stock a, a bull elk on her own. Like yeah. that's not maybe the best. I, I probably should have been with her. You know, yeah. I, you know, there's all these things. I'm just, you get in the mode of like, I'm just hunting and treating her like another hunting buddy. And I think I should have like maybe slowed down and, really considered where she might be at that moment you know uh well, it's it's incredible and, yeah. i mean the i'll never forget my first bugle that i heard i'd been out trying to find a bugle and it, it's just like whenever you've been hunting most of your life you're like man that is incredible but if that's something new to you i mean like you said we kind of take things for granted a little bit sometimes like we just like mm-hmm. oh yeah we, we kind of get used to things but I mean, for her and for most people, the beauty of that moment being surrounded by bulls and, and all of that is incredible. You know, it's just something yeah. that's just like, I don't know, God must have put something in that bugle that just made us go, you know, we it's it's captivating. I mean, that's why I went yeah. was to hear a bugle. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, oh boy, I just, I, you can't get enough of that, those moments, and even though like you may hike days and days and never hear something but when you hear that after four or five days and finally hear something or have a moment like that it just it's all worth it you know you're like mm-hmm. gosh just to experience that moment well the, the crazy thing i won't get into this the, the whole story but we got out of there and she had to fly home the next day so that was kind of it that was after i think we hunted for like three and a half days together and we had a great time amazing i mean even what she got to experience was amazing and then Got her on the plane in Boise, flew home. I got back into the unit. Um, and that next morning, I ended up bugling up a bull and getting in tight and ended up arrowing my second bull last year uh, in Idaho. And uh, got to, it was just like <laughs> one of those things you're like, how did this happen? Like, this is <laughs> insane. And so I, last year, I, I, I can't, you know, explain how thankful i am for the season i was given it was just like you know getting two bowls and getting to hunt with my wife and getting to you know be a part of another buddy's harvest in wyoming and i mean i don't know man it's just like i just love that month of september's in a whole new way now (laughs) yeah and uh i used to go early goose hunting you know for honkers and now it's just you know, I don't care. A client will be like, hey, you want to do this shoot? I'm like, probably not. <laughs> like, uh, like I'll just be straight up. <laughs> and, uh, unless unless, it, unless it's, it's Corey Jacobson or, or Larry D. Jones, yeah, probably, right? Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm always open to ideas and stuff. But really, like, I want, it goes back to the whole, like, the sacredness of these moments. You know, they come and go. And like, you know, you only have so much time to hunt elk in the rut and and so yeah i just want to be like really careful with that time and and uh make sure it's it's time spent with people that i really care about and want to spend time with and and it's you know it's just time well spent and uh because you know the last thing i want to do is commercialize my passion you know what i mean it's just like that's when i think you you get into the danger zone of just like losing grip with like, why are we even here in the first place? You know, like a lot of guys that I talk to that get into filmmaking and filming the outdoors. I mean, I'm just telling them like, man, make sure you're just filming what you want to film and what you really are passionate about. Because if you don't do that, you're going to become jaded and disgruntled and you're going to lose your, lose sight of like what the outdoors is to us, you know? Um, And, that's why it's nice to like, I like, it's cool getting the opportunity to do product films and stuff, but man, I really love doing stories yeah. because stories are real. I mean, people, everyone's got a story, you know, and I just think everyone's interesting in one way or another. And, um, I don't know. Those are the kind of things that I think that inspire others to what, what it's cool. Those are the kind of films that I think can really spur along, um, hunters in the right path you know because they um they're about people with passions and desires and adventure and struggle you know and it's like man that's a good that's the good stuff you know it's Mm. like you know the new trinket or bow or whatever you know boot whatever that's that's cool but you know i i really like getting into people stuff you know 
and uh, hearing from others and learning. And, man, I get to learn a crap ton, you know, my time in outdoors, you know, from all these films and stuff. Uh, Yeah, I agree 100 percent. Absolutely. Um, And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast to tell your stories because it's interesting. I mean, it's obviously very tempting for me to like just to talk a lot to you about, you know, the the people that you've been able to hang out with because of your career Mm -hmm. with Will Primos and all those guys that are just like legends. But Mm-hmm. what's awesome is hearing your stories because you have some great ones, you know, and I think it's neat how you've gone from this, this filmmaker to now elk is like what you dream about in September. That's just really cool to me how that's yeah. kind of captured, you know, and that's, that's the yeah. beauty of hunting. That is the beauty of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. You know, I really owe it a lot to you know these brands that trusted me to tell these stories and like, you know, that's a, a huge honor in itself, but man, it's really, I feel like more than just getting paid for the work I do, is man i've gotten to learn and i've i've been given a whole new passion in hunting now you know so <laughs> like yeah. i needed more hunting opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> but uh now i'm this yeah like i switched from you know ducks is you know ducks is awesome but um you know i i love that i'll never not love to hunt ducks i mean we have a really cool project going too called hunt 41 that's you know, a really big passion of mine as well. But man, when I, when duck season ends, I'm just like, my brain is cooking up hard already for where am I going to go this year? And like, I want to try something new and, you know, yeah. something I, I think I heard the born and raised guys say one time that they've always liked hunting a new spot. You know, they don't ever want to go back to the same spot. Yeah. And, and maybe you get, I, I don't know if I'm quite there yet, but I like hunting places I'm familiar with because I'm confident that I've experienced something there. But, you know, this year I'm going to hunt some new areas, you know, just over-the-counter tags and uh, different part of Idaho and looking forward to that. And Yeah, you know, it's a, That's awesome. a whole, new, whole new adventure. So. Well, well, Ben, thanks for coming on. If people want to find out more and check things out, I strongly encourage people to check you out on Facebook, Instagram, and your website being uh, Kana Outdoors, C-A-N-A Outdoors.com. Uh, cool. And, uh, yep. man, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on and telling those stories. Heck yeah, man. I appreciate it, too. Thanks for having me. If you have not watched The Linguist um, or Elk Fever 3, man, I encourage you to go do that. Um, <laughs> even if you're not a big elk hunter, those are some incredible films that Ben has done and just done some great work on. Uh, the Linguist especially be more of what you're used to. If you haven't watched Elk Fever 1 and 2, you might want to do that because it's definitely... Uh, Elk Fever 3 kind of goes back to that like 1970s or whenever it was type of feel and it's it's unique it's a really cool the way that he he put a modern spin on that but anyway really loved hearing Ben's stories uh, and hearing how he got into hunting and and what I love about Ben is his passion uh, for the story um, like me he, he cares about just capturing the whole story and something that he said just captured my attention whenever he said that we have these sacred moments these moments when we're out in the woods and all of a sudden we, we see the sunrise and it just takes our breath away or we see a landscape that we've never seen before. Or we see um, a porcupine as we're going up to retrieve a, a, a honker, as he said. <laughs> you know, there's just these incredible moments. That's what is so cool about hunting is that you get these moments that just are incredible. And, and I don't know anything else like that. Um, you know, and I think about a story that comes from the Bible that just kind of, to me, it connects. Uh, Genesis chapter 28, uh, there's this guy named Jacob, and Jacob's been on the run from his brother. Jacob's done some terrible, bad things. He's tricked his brother out of his inheritance, and he's on the run for his life. And he he goes and lays down to take uh, a rest one night, uses a rock as a pillow, and he has this crazy dream. I mean, you think meeting Adam Sandler's mom uh, and she's a hunter is a crazy dream. Listen to this one. This guy has a dream where he sees this like ladder going up to the heavens and there's an- angels dancing up and down it and God speaks to him and tells him how he's going to bless him and all of this stuff. What, what I, I pay attention to is verse 16. It says, When Jacob awoke from his dream, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of God. And so the next morning he takes some stones. He makes like an altar. He, that's his natural reaction. It's like, I have to build something here. Um, but I, I, I kind of zone in on the Lord was here, and I wasn't aware of it. 
I just think about how many times in life you'll be going along, something will happen, and you'll just have one of those moments where you're like, man, something is going on here. And, and maybe, you're, maybe you are aware of it. I mean, you know, I think about, you know, that, the day I got married. Um, that was one of those just kind of sacred moments. The day my kids were born. Um, in particular, I, I think of my, my uh, daughter, Hattie. You guys have heard stories about her. And when she was born, it was crazy circumstances. She, uh, My wife had to have an emergency C-section after having this crazy surgery. And my little two-pound, seven-ounce daughter, I went in to meet her. And she, I mean, I'd never seen anything that tiny before. And I didn't know it was going to happen, but she was there kind of laying. And they said, what's her name? And I said, her name's Hadassah. And whenever I said her name, that little girl raised up her tiny little hand like she was reaching for me, and she grabbed a hold of my finger. Sacred moment. Yet, each and every day, though, we have these moments that come around that if we just kind of open up our eyes, I mean, just the fact that we are alive, that we get to breathe, that we get to enjoy things, we get to enjoy good food, we get to enjoy good coffee, or whatever it is that you enjoy doing. Um, But the reality is... (laughs) I don't think those are just random chance moments. I think God is behind each of those, and we're just unaware of it. And so today, maybe just take a few moments to thank him for those moments. Help him to open up your eyes to what he's doing, because uh, he's at work. He is doing things. I don't think he just spun the planet into existence and then backed away. Um, and as you're out in the woods, really take some time to enjoy those sacred moments. Guys, that's all I have for today. Once again, I want to thank Ben Potter for coming on, and I want to thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, You're the reason I do this. I love hearing your stories, and I love seeing your reactions to these great stories as well. Thanks for listening. Hope that you have a fantastic week, and remember to shed the light.